This is David Thompson from Vancouver, British Columbia. For those that are new, I briefly want to explain how I will be sharing this message. The Word of God says in 1 Peter chapter 4, around verse 12, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, we are to seek to speak so that God is speaking out of us. The words that are truly from God to one another in order to encourage and build up and edify one another to reprove those things that are not of God in one another and so on. I will seek to do that. How will I do that in this message? I will not be sharing from an outline. I will be sharing from notes because I cast lots most days of the week to seek a chapter from the Word of God. So there's an equal chance of any particular chapter. And then I will choose out of that week a particular chapter as a theme chapter, as well as sharing on the various chapters that God has given. And this usually all dovetails because with me, it's not a game. I do this believing in the sovereignty and power of God to lead me in his word. And, of course, the casting of lots. It says in Proverbs 16, the last verse, the casting of the lot and the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. It was practiced by the nation of Israel. It was practiced by the early church and by the Moravians and various movements throughout history that recognized the utter power of God in his foreknowledge, in his sovereignty. After all, his presence is attached to every particle of existence that he has created with absolute intelligence. Even I have on my site at ultimatemeaning.com under Life After Death Experiences an interview with an expert in physics and also many other fields of science that concluded that all the mathematical evidence from the Hadron Collider and other colliders points towards what looks like the neurons of a brain attached to every particle of existence. Well, that's another totally different topic. So, this is the word that I seek to bring to you, a word that comes out of the Spirit of God. They will touch your spirit. As Christ said, the words that I speak unto you are spirit and life. Also in Revelations chapter 19, as John is prostrate before the angel, the angel says to him, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren the prophets, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so it is out of genuine worship from our heart and spirit and truth that we experience the infilling of God's spirit and in that infilling also the downloading of his understanding, of his insight, of his revelation and utterance that comes out of the spirit of God beyond ourselves. This is known as the spirit of prophecy and I will seek to minister this message out of a conscious state of worshiping God in spirit and truth so that what rises out of me will touch your life not just merely 
in your mind, but far deeper in the depths of your soul to bring you into a greater realization and possession of God's eternal purpose for your life. So I want to share with you some of the chapters I received. I believe that the theme chapter I will share on is Proverbs chapter 9. But nothing has been prepared except brief notes during a half hour of meditation on the various chapters I received in this last week of July in 2016, today being the 23rd of July. I do want to point out to you before I begin this message that we observe in the world greater and greater deception, even as Christ prophesied would happen in the last days, where he said, Take heed that no man deceive you, for deceivers shall wax worse and worse. And many will even say that they are Christ. And it says in that passage where Christ is speaking, he says that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. If it were possible. So great will be the deception in the last days. And an example of this right now is this day as I am preaching on July the 23rd of 2016, there is a festival taking place in Israel. It is a rock concert. And you are probably also aware of the Hadron Collider in Geneva, Switzerland, which is a $16 billion project over a period of 16 years of building involving over 5,000 scientists and other skilled people of science. What is their goal? Their main goal was to find the God particle, also known as the Higgs boson, which they found a few years back with this enormous device. But now they're speeding it up to even higher speeds to enter into what is the very essence of creation. Of course, many of these physicists, because of all the observations mathematically, have concluded that there are about 10 dimensions of existence. There's mathematical language that shows that it is far more sophisticated than the physical realm. So there's worlds within worlds that are just as real as our world, just like if you are watching television and you're, let's say, on channel 811, well, that's one channel. But you can't be aware of another channel at the same time. But if you switch to another channel, only that channel is the real realm. Well, that's an illustration, basically, of the same thing that they have discovered. And they found that the physical realm only constitutes a very small percentage. I think it's something like 4% of what they discovered, discovered because there's all these other dimensions. And part of the reason I'm sharing about the Hadron Collider is because of this rock concert, which you can look up on the internet, called Tomorrowland. Actually, I will suggest to you right now a particular website that discusses this, which is at a Messianic Jewish website called Sukkot. Halal. Now that's spelled S-U-C-C-A-T-H-A 
LLEL.com. And if you go there and you go, for example, to Prayer Alerts and you go to the YouTube Updates, or even, I'll try YouTube Updates, you will find a YouTube that's explaining what just is happening today in Israel. But you can also go to Prayer Alerts, and you can go to hit the Prayer Alerts link at the top there, and you will have an explanation there of this particular event. Now, I'm going to read a bit of this to you. Uh, this weekend, we will have a huge opportunity to stand in the gap for something that I first wrote to you about at the end of May. Tomorrowland. The music festival will take place from this Friday, July the 22nd, at noon until the next Sunday, okay, the 24th, so it's in the middle of it right now, at midnight in Boom, Belgium. Let me refresh your memory and give you some additional information. This call to intercession is not just about tomorrow land alone. A great convergence of evil is setting up for this coming weekend. I will try to be brief and concise to present you with the information necessary for you to understand the seriousness and the reality of these events. Do not set this aside thinking that it is too long to read. Now, I will probably skip some of this here. Uh, I'm going to just take a brief drink of water for a moment here right now. So, continuing with this. We read a little bit more about what this is about. I'm going to set the stage here first. Um, okay. The enemy is attending to sweep away many souls into rebellion and into blindness and beyond that into his dark kingdom. He wants to open the doors between his kingdom and our world through soliciting a welcome invitation from the people of earth, particularly from the people of Israel and Jerusalem. He wants to rule on our planet and is counting on human beings to give him access. Note, please keep me and my family covered in productive prayer as I present this information and as I gather the spiritual troops from around the world to battle this in the spirit. I cannot overemphasize how significant these unfolding events are in regard to our devoting life, developing life upon the earth in this season. And he's going on here and explaining this. Um, and I just want to get down to the crux of this, and I think probably the other link I was at will give the details. It's this one down here. It gives a little bit more information. The 17th of Tammuz is a Jewish fast observed yearly to commemorate, among other disasters, the breaching of the walls of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD. An event is being held during this fast this year, which has the potential to be another disastrous breaching of the spiritual walls of Jerusalem. Tomorrowland is an electronic music festival that goes beyond anything I have ever heard of in terms of open communication and covenant with major demonic principalities. The festival has grown to over 400,000 attendees in Belgium, where it originated in 2005. Here is an example of the openly demonic nature of this festival as described 
by one trusted intercessor. All of this can be easily confirmed in a quick search on the internet. On the center stage of Tomorrowland is a huge, slowly spinning replica of the CERN Hadron Collider gate. Do not think there is any. Do you think there's any possibility of hypnosis or mind control going on? Also on stage is a giant mirror in which the digitally created face of the goddess Kali appears and speaks to the crowds. These messages were seductively spoken over the masses of eager participants. As helicopters flew overhead and as beacons of colored lights flashed across the night sky, a deep, powerful male voice said, People of tomorrow, as a new chapter unfolds, you will learn about one man who knew the mysteries of the universe from within. Because of his vision, a great work has completed CERN. That's talking about that $16 billion device. With its sacred key, the machine can forge unique experiences continuously. Humanity can be reborn. The heartbeat of this device can be felt by all of you. This was being spoken as the image of the CERN machine revolved in front of the crowds. As the mirror lit up and the face of Callie appeared, a sweet, seductive, mesmerizing female voice said, There is so much that can come between people. This can be healed by the expression of pure unity. Hold up your wristbands so that we can witness this illumination together. Keep in mind that this was seductively spoken by a digitally projected face of Kali shown in a mirror. Kali, the Hindu goddess of death and destruction. Kali is the wife of Shiva, the cosmic god, lord of the beast, lord of the cosmic dance, the destroyer. A statue of Shiva stands outside the CERN headquarters. So it is amazing that that statue stands outside the CERN headquarters and that also in Roman's times, there was a city there known as the City of Destruction. All of these things converging. I'm not going to share more on this. And so that is the event that's going on right as I am speaking that gives a real clear picture of the powers of darkness seeking to indwell and possess the masses for deception and for their destruction, their ultimate destruction. Now I will go to the passages that I received this week. First I received 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so I briefly want to just share in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we will turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And here we read, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring, to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the self same thing is God, 
who also have given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. That's the down payment, the experience of God's presence now giving us the evidence, as it were, of a down payment of what we will be receiving or inheriting. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust are also made manifest in your consciences. Yes, what is being said in these first verses from verses 1 to 4, is that our fallen body, in it we, will, we do not experience completeness, but rather what is like a nakedness because of the corruption that is dwelling in our physical body. Obviously, that's evident by aging and death. When we receive the transformation of our fallen physical state, we will experience a clothing upon of righteousness and life that swallows up all the corruption that is in our body from the disruptive vibrations of sin from Adam and our forefathers that has been passed down through the lineage. This is the experience of absolute wholeness and completeness because it is even in a physically transform body and the dimension that we are in. That this will take place at the resurrection of the dead and at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What happens to many people is that the temporal gratifications of this present realm allow them to be taken through deception to justify those things that are temporal over those things that are eternal. Love always chooses the highest lasting good over any more immediate temporal gratification. Because if you choose a temporal gratification, you will never choose the highest lasting good if that is what you're focused on. It is like a bait that is put in front of you, which has influence from other sources that are beyond your control to control you so that you make choices that are not wise, that are not onto your highest good or onto the highest good of others. We are called in this day and age to rise above those things with a life of holiness. But the deception of this age, even in the church, is a false gospel of grace that denies the power of God to live a holy life. There's a scripture that says, 
that there will be those in the last days that will deny the power to live a godly life. I'm not going to turn to that passage, but it mentions that. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Merely outward form of godliness is not holiness. Holiness is conformity to the integrity of God's love, which will not condone what is contrary to his love. That is the holiness of God, the defensive aspect of God's love that requires judgment against those things that are contrary to what is constructive unto life and ultimate meaning. It is the foundation from which can spring forth the creativity of God's love to be everlasting and also to be ultimately expressed in the ultimate denial of the temporal for the lasting good, and that is in the great condescension of Almighty God himself, Elohim, the Almighty's one, in the full expression of himself into the, of the quality of his being into this time and space realm in his only and one Son, or his only and one expression, Jesus Christ, in which God, that is Elohim, the Almighty's one, in Jesus Christ, humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffered more than you, a mere creature. Think of that. Think of it. Can you comprehend a creator of such a vast and infinite universe having such an incredible love without violating the integrity of his love to take judgment upon himself in the greatest of humiliation and suffering so that you could have the opportunity to receive his forgiveness, to repent and receive his forgiveness and be reconciled to God and have eternal inheritance in what the Bible describes in Corinthians in this verse. I is not seen, nor ear heard, neither is entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. I look forward to the time when the nakedness and the corruption within my physical body and the tendency to grasp after those temporal things that are a delusion and a lying vanity are swallowed up in completeness and wholeness and ultimate everlasting, ever-expanding fulfillment in creative, ever-expanding expressions of his love in my being. In this passage, Paul the Apostle is emphasizing also that therefore, because we are aware of our present corrupt state and of the nakedness or emptiness of our present state in our body, we should not be looking at the things that are seen, that are mesmerizing, that are merely temporal in their fulfillments, but rather, as he says in verse 9, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Why? Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And then he emphasizes this. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. How many have a false gospel of grace that denies the holiness of God, that does not emphasize that God's love has such purity, such integrity, that it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to choosing the highest lasting good. Unto ourselves, unto our fellow men and creatures, as it is submitted unto God, and only then is it so, that it is the highest lasting good, which is God himself, that it is submitted unto. Paul the Apostle emphasizes the terror of the Lord, and that is something that is lacking in the body of Christ today. We do not know the terror of God. We do not understand the seriousness of corruption and of the destructive principle of sin if we buy into it. It is heaven or hell. And I'm sure if any of you have looked at the many life after death videos on the internet, you should go to my site at ultimatemeaning.com where I have many of them. These are very solid proofs of the reality of these two realms. Because these people died. There's two up here I have from those that were atheists, but for some reason God knew their heart that they were open to truth. So when they died, they were shown mercy after experiencing the terrible torments of hell, which are described as being far beyond anything of the suffering of this present physical realm. And I don't want to go into that. It is just too gross and evil to describe. I mean that your bodies continually can be tortured and yet they, they totally regenerate in a few short minutes and then they do the same things over and over, torturing in fire and heat where there's no... I don't even under... You know, I don't want to dwell on that. I do know this, that God is love. And that God cannot deny who he is, which is love. By saying, well, we better not create creatures that can love because if we do, then there's the potential of heaven and hell in their hearts and therefore they will experience hell. Therefore, we better create robots instead. Then we don't have to worry about there being a heaven and hell. But then there wouldn't be the experience of love there wouldn't be anything. It wouldn't be heaven. It would be something that is completely meaningless. Only love can be creative because it is totally free and self-originating. And as such, it is also self-responsible. So God is not the creator of the devil nor of evil. But the beings that he has created are self-originating because they have the capacity to choose and therefore to love. 
I'm talking about the highest form of love. It certainly can contain the filial love, which has experience and emotion. But the highest form of love is beyond emotion and feeling to make the choices that are the highest lasting good. And of course, once there are those choices, there is all the fulfillment of feeling way beyond what one could imagine of fulfillment. But what we have here is the importance of understanding who God is to be ultimate in the perfection of love that could only be ultimately trustworthy. You cannot trust something that has the principle of corruption in it. It will not last forever. It will, But God's being, because he is holy, and will not tolerate the slightest that is contrary, does not have the principle of death and destruction. He is the very source of everlasting, eternal fulfillment that is ever-expanding and enlarging in creative expressions of love and fulfillment. His love is so great that it brings forth light that is so bright that it is unapproachable. It talks about this in the scripture. God is light. And that he dwells in the light that no man can approach. Now what produces light in the natural realm? The negative and positive of electricity. Have you ever considered that that is an illustration of the very essence of who God is? In the ultimate perfection of love, the negative symbol represents God cutting off all that is contrary to life, that has corruption in it, that is contrary to love. That negative symbol also represents foundation from which can spring creative expressions of love without corruption that therefore can ever expand in greater realms of enlargement and fulfillment. From that, there is also not only the ever-expanding expressions of love without corruption, but there is the ultimate expression of that love that without violating the integrity of God's lover of his holiness, God himself could have within his being such an ultimate perfection that he could have a quality in him before even this world was created that not only had capacity but the reality to be actually so the capacity to suffer more than you, the mere creature, and humble himself more than you, the mere creature, and absorb the judgment of your wrong free choices of rebellion against him upon himself so that you could choose to repent and receive eternal life and be reconciled to God. So God does not want robots. He showed his love on the cross, how great and ultimate and perfect it is, so that all creation 
is worshiping God around the work that he did on the cross in the book of Revelations, where we see the multitude singing and even the four beasts bowing down before him and saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and honor and glory because this love is so pure, it is so bright, it is so unapproachable. And so I've explained to you the negative side from which springs forth the cross, or the plus symbol, which is the positive sign, which is this reconciling work that God did on the cross in Jesus Christ, who is called the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God that was slain before the world was even created according to Revelations 18 because there was within his being a quality that was not merely a capacity but was already a reality that he could condescend and do that atoning work on the cross. Now, some may ask the question, well, how can that be? It can be that it was a reality before he died on the cross because as God the Father, God governs beyond the time and space realm and sees the end from the beginning. And therefore that realm is never able to enter. The, that realm that is beyond time and space is not able to enter this realm because it transcends the time and space realm. And so it was a reality before the world was created in the very being of God. And it came, became a reality in this time and space realm through the full expression of God into time and space, through his Son. His Son is the full expression of the Father, as described in Hebrews 1.3, that Jesus Christ is the full expression of the Father. The word expression basically means Son. And those that believe that we worship three gods, let me briefly explain here that we do not. You cannot have a God that is ultimately almighty, that cannot rule with intelligence and consciousness in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond time and space, which is the God, the Father, meaning the originator. The Father is the originator that sees the end from the beginning. And he is beyond the time and space realm. And whenever you see the word of God describing the Father, it is often describing him as seeing the end from the beginning. Especially the Apostle Paul addresses the Father, God in personage beyond time and space, and as the originator that way. And so the expression of the originator or the Father is the Son, who has the full absolute being and quality of God himself, expressed into creation, the one and only Son of God. And so you cannot be almighty as God if you cannot rule in conscious intelligence or personage within the time and space realm and beyond the time and space realm as the Father, and filling all things as the Holy Spirit. And so we have Elohim, the Almighty's One, is, is described, who is the one true God in three personages, beyond time and space and government, 
end time and space and government and filling all space and government. Necessity requires three personages or God would not be God and not be ruler if he could not be in personage and conscious intelligence in the all aspects of existence ultimately being as I have mentioned the Father beyond time and space, the Son in time and space, the Holy Spirit filling all space. So I briefly interject that here in my message as I go on. And so out of the negative and positive illustration in the natural realm, we have the flow of life and energy, which is electricity. And it is a shadow in the physical realm of the far greater reality of the quality of God's being of love, the negative representing the holiness of God that cuts off corruption, the positive being the grace or the mercy of God in his atoning work that can only spring out of that holiness. It is also true that in our relationship with God that we often project a false image of God to justify our own ways. And so, like Cain, we can begin to have a distorted image of God. Cain looked at God as a dictator. He became offended at the consequences of the curse. And so there was hardness in his heart and alienation in some measure. And he withdrew. And so God became to him an enigma. Someone that he didn't fully understand, but that had great authority and holiness. He lost sight of the goodness of God that is behind his holiness, and instead took offense at the consequences of God's holiness and judgment. King David even had the same experience with the ark. We know the story in Corinthians, where the cart tipped a bit, and the result was that the Lord broke forth and smote the high priest. I believe his name was Uzzah. Because they had not shown that absolute reverence that was needed, they had begun to treat God in a common way. You know, when you really love someone, you treat them as exceedingly precious. They are not common. The thing that is lasting in this day and age is the lack of the fear of God. What is the fear of God? Basically, it is choosing to recognize God for who he really is in his goodness, and that is only recognized when you first recognize his holiness, that he will not tolerate sin, because only when there is holiness, there is no corruption. And when there is no corruption, there's wholeness. And when there's wholeness, out of wholeness comes beauty. Why did King David say, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to worship in his temple. He desired to behold the beauty of God that issues out of his holiness. He recognized that the holiness of God was necessary, but he himself became afraid of God when Uzzah the priest was smitten. And so he withdrew. But then he began to recognize the goodness of God as he saw the blessings of God that came upon the house of Obedidim. 
And many of us in our lives may initially experience offense when we see the severity of the holiness of God and the consequences of tragedy in this world and of people's lives and fail to recognize that these things are happening from the vibrations of past generations that have rebelled against him and many other factors. And like Cain, we can become offended at the holiness of God. And so we have the image of God as a dictator and have lost sight of the great, incredible greatness of his love that could be so great because he is holy. It implies that he is good. And the implication that God is ultimately good leads to the conclusion that if he's ultimately good, he must be able to provide for those he's created destiny. And that is indicative in the fact that only God himself could be possibly, ultimately able to be a perfect atoning sacrifice. As it says in the Old Testament, even if I gave of my body and of the fruit of my womb as a sacrifice, it would not atone for my soul. Yes, they recognized that God was the source of forgiveness from the beginning. And I'm not going to go into all of the things that I so love to get into in all of this. But there's very good explanations for it all. I want to get on to the scripture that God has called me to preach from today. And so in this passage of scripture we go on and Paul the Apostle goes on to describe. And he says, we have the assurance and confidence that we will receive this inheritance of a body that is not naked and that is swallowed up of life and wholeness for eternity. Because we experience this down payment, which is the earnest of the spirit. And he goes on, and I know I am supposed to be sharing from another passage of scripture, and I could end up speaking too long in this passage. So I'm just going to have to skim through this on the rest of this particular chapter on 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul the Apostle emphasizes that he's diligent to do what is pleasing to the Lord while in the body because he's aware of the coming judgment of God. Then he goes on in verse 12 to 15 and he says, such are our motives. They're pure. We only seek what glorifies God. We don't seek what people want or to appear before others in a certain way. The fact that Elohim and Jesus Christ would be poured out in atoning sacrifice unto death for our sins makes it clear that all without receiving God's mercy in Jesus Christ are under the judgment of death, which is everlasting separation from God and torment if they rebel against the provision of God's love in his atoning work on the cross. Now, I, I'm not going to go on with this passage. I want to get on to the theme chapter, which is Proverbs chapter 9. And time is already slipping away uh, right now. In fact, as I look right now, I'm at already 43 minutes. <clears throat> but I'm going to turn now to Proverbs chapter 9. I think when I do these things, I could probably speak very easily for three hours. So it's difficult to cut things down, but I'm going to turn to Proverbs chapter 9. 
Proverbs chapter 9. Going there right now. Proverbs 9. And I want this to be the theme passage. It's not a long chapter, but it has great significance. It says, Wisdom hath built her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beast. Beast, she hath mingled her wine. She hath also furnished her table. She hath set forth her maidens. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish, and live, and go in the way of understanding. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself, but if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. A foolish woman is clamorous, she is simple and knoweth nothing, for she sitteth at the door of her house, on a seat in the high places of the city, to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither, and as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that our guests are in the depths of hell. I'm going to just uh, in this passage of Proverbs chapter nine. I first want to just point out to you a brief understanding of certain words that are key words. This is a passage that is on wisdom, and wisdom is a word. It comes from the Hebrew word Chachmah. Chachmah. Now, there's symbol letters for Chachmah are three pillars. The first word, Chach, is three pillars. It re represents the pillars in between a tent, and the understanding of the letter is the understanding of that which divides and separates. That is the word that also is the beginning of the word for many words that are related to holiness. It is an understanding of separation and also foundation because those pillars represent foundation in the tent to hold the tent up. So that first part of this word has the understanding of the holiness of God. The next letter is the picture of an open hand. Now that is a hand that is receptive and that word is exactly what is understood in that symbol. The open hand is the understanding of being receptive, of yielding, of being tamed, 
of being open. And so you have receptivity to the first letter, which is the holiness of God. Instead of a fist, there's the symbol of an open hand of surrender, of openness to the reproofs of God that come out of his holiness to deal with the corruption and the deception in our lives that is not of him. As Christ said, whoever is of God comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest whether they are wrought in God or not. And this passage is emphasizing the importance of the fear of God. And in context, it's describing the importance of being not rebellious. If you're wise, you will not be rebellious. You will receive reproofs. And we, I'll go into that in detail later. And so this second letter in the word Chachma for wisdom speaks of receptivity. And the last letter is the symbol of water. The symbol of water represents life in this case. Water can be still. It can be very straight and clear and reflective and peaceful and filled with life. And this is the understanding in this word that when we are receptive to the holiness of God and we do not rebel against his chastisements in our lives or if he uses other people to reprove us or whatever it is, when we learn to have such a fear of God in us, we won't rebel. And the result will be that we will make choices that are wise unto life. And the first choice is to be open to the holiness of God. And to be open to the holiness of God is to be open to his dealings of reproof out of the throne of his holiness. Instead of rebelling at all the suffering and all the things that God is allowing because he's given us free choice so that we can have the capacity to love. If God said, oh, we don't want to have any suffering, therefore we'll create robots, there would be no fulfillment. There would be no experience. There would be no meaning. And so God is not going to deny himself because people of their own free choice choose to reject his love that was ultimately manifested in the one true God dying on the cross in Jesus Christ, tasting death. He conquered death. He took the full judgment of death upon himself and yet was still God in all of that because he maintained his link of trust in the Father which is why it says in Romans 1, 4 that, he, that the resurrection from the dead is by the spirit of holiness because Christ's soul, his spirit, was totally holy in union with the Father even when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And experiencing, experienced the judgment of God that was like a forsaking and yet was still in that in union with the Father. 
As the word of God says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And that is the attitude that comes out of the genuine fear of God. When we choose to genuinely fear God, we choose to recognize the holiness of God first, which is the integrity of his love that requires judgment against all that is contrary to his love. And then out of that, we recognize that God is ultimately trustworthy because there's no corruption in him. And then we see that he is ultimately good. And that this can only lead to the conclusion that only he could save us because only glory and worship can go to God and only he could live in a human body without committing sin. And so Jesus Christ, as it were, took the first man, Adam, in whom the whole human race exists and came from. And as it were, through his obedience against every temptation of sin, without sin, nailed that Adam on the cross and took our judgment upon him so that we could be put in Jesus Christ, the second Adam, who is the perfection of humanity, and that is why he is called the Son of Man. The Son of Man could not be, in other words, the full expression of man in perfection can only be in Jesus Christ. Or else it's not a son. Because if there's distortion, it cannot be the full expression of man. And so Jesus Christ is both the Son of of God, the full expression of God and the full expression of man in perfection. But here in this passage, we read about wisdom. And wisdom is crying. She's preparing this incredible feast that involves seven pillars. Oh, I could speculate or conjecture as to what those seven pillars would be, I would say that those seven pillars issue out of the fear of God. They might be something like this. Out of the fear of God issues forth, first of all, faith. A faith that reaches out in recognition that God is only ultimately trustworthy because he is not corrupt because of his holiness. And the other reason he is ultimately trustworthy is because he is ultimately good, which is manifested in his power to forgive us so that we can be reconciled to God. If God created beings that he could not assure destiny to, that would imply that God is imperfect because he created beings with purpose that he could not give purpose or ultimate purpose for himself to. And so we see that God's perfection is only found in a quality of being that is ultimately holy out of which he is ultimately filled with mercy and grace. And that is in the intoning work of Jesus Christ. There is this house being prepared, and so out of faith issues the response of love because, well, actually, it's love first. There's the recognition of God's love out of which springs faith. So the foundation is the fear of God, love that springs out of that recognition of God's love that then recognizes because God is love that he is ultimately trustworthy, and so then you have faith working by love. 
out of which springs the other pillars. I'm not sure exactly all of them right now, but you would probably have out of that faith, you would have unity and many other things. And so this beautiful house is being built that will be for eternity with God that involves the seven pillars. There's the seven ones that are mentioned in Ephesians that are the basis of our unity. This passage of scripture here, it, wisdom is calling out, which is another name for God. Wisdom, God, has builded his house. It's described in the female here, but it is describing wisdom because wisdom in Proverbs chapter 8 is clearly described as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is, and it goes on in Proverbs 8 around verse 12. Describes how wisdom existed with, in God before the world. But in Proverbs 9 here, the Lord is calling out. And the next word that we want to look at is the word simple because he calls out here in verse 4 and he says, Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mingled. This is the eternal wine of God's spirit, of his presence that we can enjoy forever and ever and ever. And here, the word simple is described in the Hebrew in this way. This is what it means. It is patah, and it means to open. For example, causatively, or to be roomy, and figuratively, to be maybe even in a sinister way diluted. But it has the understanding of open, but there's a better meaning for this word when you go back to the original Hebrew letters, which are symbol letters. That first letter is the picture of a mouth that is open. And it basically is this. It's a picture of an open mouth or a hole. It's someone that is open. Now the next symbol is the symbol of the cross. Now this symbol of the cross that existed way, way back, 2000 BC and earlier, and is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Ta, is exactly the symbol of the cross that we have today, and the symbol for the positive, the symbol in electricity, and so on. But it existed way back then, so as a side note, all those people that are trying to re remove the symbol of the cross because it's a symbol of Christianity are mistaken because it was the symbol that was used way back in 2000 BC. In fact, the letter itself means symbol, sign, and so on. And so it's emphasizing here someone that is open and their openness is really clarified to be open. It has the understanding of perforate, 
or being full of, it's the word for perforate. When it's perforate, it's two crosses at the end. When it's the word entice, it's open, the cross, and the symbol of a person standing up rejoicing, which kind of means, you know, wow, this is great. You're experiencing something great. It has the understanding of wonder as well, but these are different variants of this root, which are not necessary to know here. The main understanding here is that someone is open, but they're open to anything. And this makes them look foolish. In other words, in this case, the openness is a symbol. It's a symbol of the openness. But the openness in itself is a symbol of someone that is open to anything and is therefore naive in a way. And in a sinister way, they are deluded. But let's say they're that way, like many young people are trying to find fulfillment in their lives. But they're open, they're looking. There's that vacuum inside, that God-shaped vacuum that they're looking for. And so the Lord's saying, those that are open, that are searching, that may be hungry, but they don't understand, they don't have any meaning or purpose in their lives, come in. And those that are really seeking for truth or understanding, as he says in verse 4, come, eat of my bread and drink of, my, drink of the wine I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live, and go on the way of understanding. And then he says this, He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame. Here is the understanding. That a scorner is not open to reproof. So there's no, no use trying to reprove them. They're not open to it. In other words, And he that rebuketh a wicked, someone that's wicked, will get himself a blot, it says. Don't reprove a scorner, lest he hates you. And don't rebuke a wise man. But if you, pardon me, but if you rebuke a wise man, he'll be wiser, and he'll love you for it. And that's the difference between someone that is truly born again of the Spirit of God and someone that is not. I have seen people that call themselves Christians, that claim to be born again of the Spirit, but they cannot take the slightest reproof because it hurts their pride. That tells me they've not really been born again because their pride has not been broken. The evidence of true, genuine rebirth in the Spirit is the breaking of pride, that is, of the human spirit worshiping the soul in a state of self-confidence and self-righteousness. The fear of the Lord, it says in verse 10, is the beginning of wisdom. Because when you choose to fear God, which is to choose to recognize God and his holiness, out of which you recognize God and his goodness and in his mercy and grace, when you choose to do that, to recognize God for who he really is, it results in wisdom. And why is that? Because what is wisdom? Wisdom is knowledge that is rightly applied in a way that is constructive unto ever greater meaning and fulfillment. 
When you are wise, you make choices that are wise. But the beginning of those choices happens when you come to God in view of his holiness. And when you do, you acknowledge immediately in the light of his holiness that you are guilty. Instead of rebelling against the consequences of his holiness, you acknowledge the greatness of his authority and power and glory and goodness that issues out of his holiness. And so you become aware that without God, you are guilty. You are worthy of judgment. You recognize your need of God as your life source. Out of the very recognition that you are far less than God in every sense of the word morally. And you come to that place, therefore, where there's a true cry in the heart that cries out like the publican and sinner that Christ described, who would not even lift his head to heaven and cried with a loud voice and beat his breasts and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is the evidence of true conversion, is that genuine belief or faith response to the recognition of the ultimate love of God that can only be ultimate in seeing and receiving his holiness out of which there is also the seeing and receiving of the heart of his mercy and grace. You can never recognize how great God's mercy is to you if you don't, first of all, recognize the severity of his holiness and yet how great and good his holiness is. That is a choice to fear God. Peter said in the book of Acts, when the Gentiles had the Holy Spirit come upon them in the speaking of tongues, he concluded that God accepts those that fear God from every background. It was the fear of God that Peter recognized would result, if it was the genuine fear of God, in genuine spiritual rebirth so that they were accepted of God. From the very beginning of Adam and Eve, people entered into genuine spiritual rebirth. There's a difference between the time before and after Christ. I'm not going to get into it here. I have lots of other messages on that. The evidence of genuine rebirth is that we have humility before God. That we love to humble ourselves before God and receive his reproof. That we will therefore love to humble ourselves before others and receive their reproof. That doesn't mean there isn't a measure of pride in us that has to be dealt with in our growth. It doesn't mean that there aren't areas where we might rebel and have to go through some things. Some of us more than others, depending on the depth of the conversion that we have had to Christ, where there has been the genuine response of faith. Oh, I could love to teach on this for a long time. About First John, where it says, Whosoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. 
That is the symbol of an open hand of surrender in the recognition of who God is in his mercy that was recognized because one first feared God and therefore recognized their guilt in the light of his holiness from which they could recognize the greatness of his mercy towards them upon their repentance and reception of his mercy and grace. And so that open hand of surrender brings God's hand to come against that hand and hold it open in the symbol of two hands in prayer or a seed, which is the new divine seed of the new nature, that by the indwelling of God's Spirit is held open so that we are a new creature that now is growing ever into conformity to the image of God's love on the cross that was ultimately manifested there in his holiness and in his mercy and grace. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom also because wisdom now can be rightly applied. Why? Because wisdom has a foundation of consequence. And if there is no foundation of consequence that is genuine and real, therefore you would have no ability to apply knowledge aright. There has to be foundation for the right application of knowledge that has the consistency of consequence because that consequence is coming out of a source where there's no corruption, which is the holiness of God. And so when we abide in who God is in his holiness and in his grace, we grow in wisdom and in understanding and in revelation. And so for by me thy days shall be multiplied and the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself, but if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. Then we come to the foolish woman that is clamorous. And she is simple. She's open to anything. That word simple means open. Open to anything which is allowing one to be open to what is evil and doesn't have any knowledge or knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that our guests are in the depths of hell. And that woman today symbolizes what I started out in this message. Many people are like that person that is simple. They're looking for fulfillment in their lives, but they're open to anything. And so they're open to great deception. And so this woman represents the spirit of deception to draw people into a vortex that justifies the temporal realm of fulfillment. That makes choices that are less than the highest good and therefore have corruption in them that leads to ultimate destruction over time. And this rock festival that is using this false god that is the god of destruction is known to be even by experience 
to have that effect wherever it is worshipped. There is a lot of destruction and damage. It is the false god. I don't want to get into all of that or dwell on it. I could talk for a long time on how this deception is creeping into many things, but time has gone on. God is calling us as his people to search our hearts before him, that we would be part of those that begin to build his house in these last days and restore his spiritual temple and bring his people back to the place where they know what it is when they start their services to be on their faces before God in humility, humbling themselves, learning what it is to be in awe of who he is and to wait on him in brokenness and contrition and utter reverence until his glory fills our heart. For the Lord is nigh unto those that have a broken and a contrite heart. And yet so many charismatic churches today and other churches always start their meeting with lots of nice joyful songs and I'm all for that. The problem is that there's a lot missing because the fear of God is missing because leadership is not bringing people to learn what it is to be in the fear of God in the meetings to be conscious of God walking in their midst. To be sensitized to the presence of God is exceedingly precious that will make us sensitive to one another and break the hardness in our hearts, the spirit of adultery with the loves of this world in our hearts that has made our hearts hard, that has caused so much divorce and division and denominationalism. It is time for denominations to repent of not allowing the fullness of the headship of Christ to inhabit the body because they form their nice comfortable structure that allows them to be in control, that does not facilitate the members of the body functioning and the house of God becoming a house of prayer in the gatherings first before it becomes a house of worship and moves in the gifts of the Spirit and then the pastor preach, which is that message that comes and is confirmed by the prophecies that are coming out of the Holy Spirit through the members of the body. God is calling his people in this last day to cast off their denominational or their denominating of one another in knowing one another after the flesh instead of after the spirit. The key to it is to enter back into the fear of God, to circumcise our hearts, to have a heart that is in brokenness and in true repentance before him, that sensitizes us to God and to one another. This will cause the glory of God to come down so that the valleys are raised, the mountains are brought down, and the glory of God begins to fill his people with his authority so that they rise up and take their nation for the glory of God, so that it would be saved and turned back to him. A city of light within a city of darkness, a nation of light within a nation of darkness. The coming of the Lord is soon. May I wake up more. May we wake up more and rise to the occasion. Thank you for listening to this message.